Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. That, of course, or maybe not, of course, uh, is Maroon 5. Uh, Maroon 5 is the headlining halftime show at the Super Bowl. Uh, we're going to talk about that, about what else possibly could have happened in a different kind of world. Uh, we'll be uh, talking also a little bit later about sort of anti-tours, uh, a phenomenon in which you go to a city and get a tour of the places that nobody even from the city goes to. Uh, we'll also be talking a little bit later about the movie Roma. Uh, in my mind, a very sublime uh, look at the past uh, and some of the warts of the past uh, in a bourgeois neighborhood in Mexico City. All right. So uh, let me tell you who's here. Tanisha Dugan is producing associate at Theater Works. Rich Holland, uh, principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center and commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. I want to make one quick announcement. I was telling the panel about this too. I don't think it's, we've said it on the air yet though, um, which is that next Wednesday, theoretically anyway, I'm going in for what they call knee replacement surgery, although they don't really like just take out your knee and give you your old knee and you know put a different one in. Or I don't know why they call it that. But anyway, that's what it is. I'm I'm anticipating about a two-week recovery process, which some people tell me is optimistic. But anyway, during that time, we have really a lot of cool stuff happening. Um, we have some interviews that we've been recording over the last couple of weeks, uh, that uh, including one with Elaine Pagels, which I really think you should not miss uh, the conversation with Elaine Pagels, the scholar of religious history. Um, an interview with Darko Trezhnek, I think, which will surprise people even who think they know Darko fairly well. He's, of course, the parting uh, artistic director at Hartford Stage. Uh, in a couple of Fridays, I think, a couple of Fridays from now, uh, the Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine of New Haven, Lucy Gelman, uh, and Tom Breen will actually host The Nose down in New Haven uh, or co-host The Nose or something. So I'm looking forward to that too as I sit around letting the painkillers wear off. Anyway, tons of stuff. I mean, there won't be very much uh, in the next two weeks that you have heard before. Uh, and there's two shows that we think that nobody really heard because of when they ran. So we're rerunning those two. All right. Anyway, enough of, enough about that. We have to talk about the halftime show. So, um, well, the halftime show has become kind of a divisive thing. Uh, <laughs> and it's especially divisive this time. And Tanisha, I, I think that's especially true. Obviously, everything's been politicized in football. The Colin Kaepernick thing is just highlighted, highlighted problems. There are now performers like Rihanna and Cardi B who won't do the halftime show because of Colin Kaepernick's exile. Uh, Maroon 5 is a white group coming into a city with a burgeoning 
um, black hip hop scene. So I don't know. What do we make of all this? Well, we should say it's probably not burgeoning. It's it's definitely definitively established. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atlanta has its own sound um, and has been. Uh, expressing that since shortly after hip-hop was born. Um, yeah, I mean, I I guess my first thing is I take a little bit of umbrage with the premise, right? Because the Colin Kaepernick thing is um, everything. Um, it is the reason that the NFL was losing its ratings, although I think it's it's they've come up a bit this past season and are holding um, firmer than they were last year. Um but I think we're in a time where artists are saying they've got to make a stand against um, things that they think they c- we can't live with anymore. Um, and it's a shame that the NFL feels like they need to have a halftime show because as lovely as some of them are and entertaining as um, a few of them have been, I'm sure most of us would just love to have more commercials and time with our family eating and drinking beer. Um, so I don't know if uh, it's as necessary as as they feel it is. Um, and it'll we'll see on Monday how Maroon 5 um, survives this thing on Sunday. Well, we should also say that Travis Scott uh, and Big Boy, two uh, members of that uh, thriving hip-hop scene, uh, are going to now be part of that. Not a big surprise in the case of Big Boy, who's actually collaborated with Adam Levine uh, from from Maroon 5. But, um, but you know, Irene also kind of brings up the question of what's the halftime show for. For a long time, it seemed to be for kind of somewhat tired out artists who are a lot, a lot of times weren't even – part of America's football culture, so you tended to get like the who. <laughs> uh, I don't really know exactly what it, what it means now when somebody either does or doesn't do the halftime show. Well, yeah, I mean, as somebody who when at every Super Bowl party I've ever gone to has been the most interested in the halftime show and the commercials, um, I feel like there's, there's, it's an interesting venue for a show, but I agree with um, Tanisha about the fact that you know, it's a it's a way for artists to really say something, and I just don't understand as a as a as somebody who doesn't follow football, why can't they give Colin Kaepernick a job? <laughs> you know, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And so to take a stance against that, and to sort of as and you know supporting Black Lives Matter, makes so much sense. And I just you know what is it? they think that it, you know I mean our I guess it's just a fact that our country is so polarized and people you know feel like they have to take a stance on one side and the or the other. And but. it's come out that they've done polls. I mean, Collins' um, a lawsuit about collusion is, is proving to be a little more firm uh, because they've polled um, their constituents to find out how they felt about Colin. Um, and the polls have shown that it is uh, divided by racial lines, by socioeconomic mm-hmm. lines. And so, you know, they responded, um, assuming that the majority of their audience were white and Southern um, and are making a gamble that that is, that is where their audience is and that's their niche. Um, and I don't know if they're wholly wrong, um, considering the fact that uh, the numbers have, have sort of counterbalanced over the two seasons. Take it away, there's, Rich. There's this issue for me of, of art and entertainment mm-hmm. and, uh, and we got to get clear about what we're talking about. You know, um, uh, I consider acts like Maroon 5 to be entertainment. And, um, and uh, I don't turn to entertainment uh, 
to help uh, define uh, define leadership uh, around cultural issues at all. Um, I turn to art, and uh, and I turn to uh, to people with the profile and the commitment to to stand up for that. Right, you know, and so if that's not Maroon Five's uh, bag, then um, then I'm pretty much counting on them walking through this completely unscathed, right? But and, do you, but, um, but are you saying you don't have any problem with them doing it, or you just don't expect any better from them? I have no expectations of Maroon Five whatsoever, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatsoever. You know, um, uh, because they've never told me that I should have any expectations of them. Um, I think there is a tremendous amount of folks who are uh, who have the who have an audience uh, where influence can take place, and um, and I look to see what those folks are doing uh, with that influence. And uh, and you know when you take a look at uh, someone like Cardi B, who is not fearful whatsoever of speaking her mind. And uh, and speaking her uh, her truth, um, I look to see what she's going to do with that because she's modeling something already for folks, you know. But to take a look at folks who aren't modeling a darn thing about behavior, you know, and expect that this, uh, you know, great, you know, opportunity for them is where they're going to actually like, you know, stand up is, you know, I think unrealistic. Wouldn't it be great if they did? But to who and for what for what goal and why did they follow that up with? Let me you know, remember. I you make an, yeah. to me frivolous demarcation between art and culture. I don't know if the music that Cardi B makes would constitute as art. Um, it is absolutely entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's more important and the thing that you spoke about is how she moves in space outside of mm-hmm. the thing that she does. Um there, there, I would honestly, I, I prefer Maroon 5's music. I think their music is more artful than the than the content that Cardi is coming up with. But is Cardi, you know, is 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 Adam Levine getting retweeted by Senator Murphy? No, no. Uh, right. No. So I think we're talking about actually even two different things. I don't think you know when we think of civil rights icons out of the arts and entertainment sphere during this. You know, we think of Harry Belafonte. He has morphed into an artist mm-hmm. but i don't know if the content that he made um is the is the demarcation between whether or not they're they're being civically and socially activated or mindful so i i have a like one other kind of a i guess sort of an agenda here too so uh, one of the things i've been in a lot of conversations with with members of my own generation is the degree to which they resist uh, Almost everything that falls underneath the hip hop umbrella. There were some. There's a bunch of guys, pretty much my age, who have kind of a little email thing, which emails turns out dozens and dozens of emails every day, uh, 365 days a year. And and our, one of the early articles about this came up talking about how there, you know, there is this uh, Atlanta music scene, and it, they're not represented in this. And Maroon Five, is a, and they listed a whole bunch of the acts. And these guys were emailing the, th- the thing around saying, I don't know who any of these people are. 
I never heard of any of these people. And members of my generation feel very, very comfortable saying that. Um, I was on a Facebook chain a little while ago with some people. This is a few months ago. People going, "Do should we even care who Cardi B is? Who is Cardi B anyway? Like, are we supposed to know who that is?" Uh, and, and it's it's there's a really weird kind of baby boomer. We insisted that everybody embrace our culture and that everybody should know our music, and that our parents were idiots because they didn't know who the Rolling Stones were, or they didn't think it was real music, or whatever. And we have become exactly that group of people now particularly as respects hip-hop. One of the things that I wish is, I mean, I realize that all of the conditions that you guys have outlined are what obtain right now. I sort of wish that there was some way that somebody could have stepped in here and said, let's put on a halftime show that'll really show people who just don't participate in this, like how good it is and how cool a lot of it is. And I mean, my problem is that Travis Scott is going to get up there and do sicko mode and everybody's going to go, yeah, well, I don't like that very much. <laughs> uh, and Big Boy, you know, there's a chance. So there's this tune that Big Boy and Adam Levine do together, and that's called, it's called Mike Jack. They're probably going to do that. But from the same album, they could do this. Bit if it's all right, I want to kick it with you all night, all night. And the song's a lot of fun. And, and if somebody really good, a really good producer, had put together that and something with Childish Gambino and, and, and I mean, there's and something with Killer Mike and stuff, but with a real eye to kind of creating an on-ramp to hip-hop culture for all these people who have been so resistant to it, I mean, you really do have kind of a captive audience at that moment. It would have been just so great to... You know, I, I'm not saying it would have changed the world or that the guys on that email thread are going to get much better about all this stuff, but I'm very freaked out by how completely severed my generation has turned out to be from hip hop culture. I'd love to see something like this address it, and then it's going to do the opposite. Bitcoin. But doesn't the, the NFL kind of have to heal itself before they could have us? Well, probably. I mean, they're not going to let Childish Gambino do This Is America, right. if that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Although they have an opportunity. I mean, I feel like the reason Big Boy said yes is because this game is being played in Atlanta. And I think that the opportunity he has is to is to sort of really big up Atlanta while he's there. Um, and that could have been a way for the NFL um, to walk down this road, right, if they embraced the location uh, of, of this event and said, OK, let's let's use the halftime show to celebrate that. And through that, you know, make a case for why they are more inclusive than they actually are. Um, but I think that took that takes more minds, bigger minds in well, the room. Yeah, yeah of I think creation. that's yeah, I, I, I think that's true. And also it's sort of like once the ball starts rolling. It's hard to say, well, I'm going to perform anyway. You know, once people are already saying, no, I'm not going to perform because I'm taking a political stance or, or, or a moral stance, 
it's hard to then say, well, I'm going to go in and perform in a different way, you know? And, well, but I, I think everyone can agree to celebrate your city. Right. right? Although That's I, an easy way to... I think Big Boy is a special case. So Big Boy, for those people who are like on that email thread, is one half of Outcast, uh, <laughs> And... And Big Boy does roll his own way. And so now I have to tell this story. It does have a slightly off-color word, so I'm warning you. If you have like a five-year-old in the car or something, turn on the radio for radio for 30 seconds. But So Big Boy claims, <laughs> Big Boy claims that in 2012, after Obama's re-election, this woman came up to him the next day. She's, he's at an airport. Some white woman just came up to him and said, congratulations on the results of the election. And he said, bitch, I voted for Gary Johnson, um, which, 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 is, which is a Big Boy claim kind of thing to do, right? I mean, and I, I think to the whatever degree there's any kind of formal or informal compact among Atlanta hip-hop artists not to cooperate with this because of Kaepernick and all the stuff that goes along with it. Big Boy would be the guy who said, no, no, screw that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, I voted for Gary Johnson. Uh, but then he came out to burn for Bernie, so that doesn't make any sense. All right. Well, we should probably move on here, watch the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, we'll... Uh, uh, or not. Or not. Or not, yeah. Drink or, some or, delicious yeah, beer. Drink some delicious <laughs> beer, have some delicious snacks, spend time talk with your, your family, family talk and to your friends. Family. Um, and anyways, we're going to move on here because we need to talk about this other phenomenon. This is an article that I saw and thought this might be kind of a talkable thing. It's um, a phenomenon that includes something called the worst tours, uh, which is uh, done in, in Porto, I believe, uh, sort of the second largest city in uh, Portugal. And the highlight is downtown shopping mall that went bust in the mid-1990s, uh, now offering cheap rent to cafe bars and practice studios for local bands. But it turns out these kind of anti-tours exist all over the place. And sometimes they exist. There's, for example, something called the Ugly Vienna Tour. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, it, for calling attention to things that really are troubling about one's own city, maybe even to places that people who live in Vienna or wherever don't go to themselves. So I don't know. Rich, uh, you're a dedicated traveler. I am uh, a traveler. Yeah. So talk about this. Well, so I've been sort of untouring my anti-touring my uh, my entire life. Um, in fact, uh, I'm going to be uh, going to to a tropical island in a couple of months, and um, and as soon as I booked a place, they started sending me all of the like touring stuff to do, and. It, None of it seems even remotely interesting. It feels like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I could watch that on TV. Um, <laughs> whereas uh, as I start looking at um, the opportunity to, uh, to immerse in a culture that I'm not that familiar with and, uh, and understand uh, how folks are actually living uh, on this island and, uh, and who they are and what, you know, what getting up and going to sleep is really like, um, I find that a heck of a lot more interesting uh, than uh, than a blowhole. Um, so uh, so I, I totally get it. Um, it's also the the interesting part about that, right? Is we want to call that authentic, um, but I think just the the process of observing a thing strips it of some of its authenticity, and um, and creates a kind of really complicated universe uh, to try and label. And um, isn't it isn't it different if you're with a tour also? I mean, if you just decided to go for a walk and yeah. and see some, you know, unfamiliar places, isn't that very different from saying like, okay, people, now we're going to go look at this? You know? It's a really good I, question. I, I would think that part of the part of the anti tour for me 
is to not be in a tour group. Right. You know, right, to, right. to figure out how to have a, a sort of one-on-one uh, person that's just, you know, keeping me from falling off of cliffs. Right. I agree. I, I mean, I also think that some of the memories that, well, first of all, I want, I want you to go next. That's oh. the thing I want to say eventually. I have many, I have many thoughts. Many, one that is like, <laughs> one that this is like a relatively classist conversation because mm-hmm. um, there's something about culture porn in deciding that you want to go and look at the culture as it actually exists mm-hmm. um, because you are inherently the viewer and and the voyeur. And so that immediately makes you something other and something else. And that is a little weird to me. I love this idea of anti-tour just as a person who works in Hartford and works in culture and tourism, that the idea that the places you know, in a, in a city like Hartford, that is not exciting, right? Where the places that you go, it's not Rome, it's not Hawaii, it's not, right? It's not the Big Apple. They're not obvious places to go and visit. So the idea of an anti-tour for second cities is really interesting to me because I think, oh, well, there's an opportunity for people to go go want to see places that they wouldn't choose to because they don't have the things, the Eiffel Tower, Um so we'll, we'll we'll sort of land there. But I'm curious as from folks who do a lot of traveling, isn't yeah. part of that thing, that stamp, is is it just in being able to say you went to this place and that's enough? No. Or no, are there things all. yeah. Not at all. Um the to me the the whole part of traveling is is not what you it's not what you it's not how you perceive yourself, it's what you take away. You know, um, every time I go to a place, I come back to to this city that I love and I bring something with me and uh, that I could share here, uh, that I see opportunity here in a way that I hadn't uh, with the set of um, observations that I have uh, while being here. You know, so it, it actually does. Uh, it changes my work. It changes um, uh, how I relate to people. It grows my empathy. Um, there's a whole bunch of actually really I productive. Think those are true, but I also think that there's a piece of it that's about it's the same as like what watch or what car we drive. That there's certain there's a certain level of the choices we make when we travel that align to those things to me. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say? Well, I, I always used to feel so embarrassed as a tourist, like I'm the stupid white. American who is like, and I'm very self-conscious, like, what am I doing here in your place? I know this is your place. It's not mine. I'm embarrassed. But as I've gotten older and traveled more, I sort of feel like, well, yeah, but the economy of the place is based on tourism. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to pretend that I'm not a tourist if I am, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and if I am, then I can sort of see and engage with people as a tourist in a way that's a little bit more satisfying than just having that feeling of shame about being a, which is what I sort of grew up with in a way, as with a father who's an immigrant, you know, sort of like there's something sort of unpleasant about Americans in the world. And so I would try to like say, no, that's not me. That's not me. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> but anyway, but so now I'm trying to, I sort of try to own my, the fact that if I am a tourist, I am a tourist, you know, I do want to get a cup of coffee, you know, or whatever it is. And that's okay because that's the whole place is set up for that kind of economy. So but I also want to say that I went on a toxic tour of Hartford once, and it was it's it was like maybe ten years ago, and it was fantastic because we we went to the recycling place and the and where they and, you know and discovered that like people throw out their batteries and there's dioxin in the air and how all the toxins work in terms of the garbage cycle of Hartford and there was a bus and there was a guy leading it and it was a really great tour. So that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was connected. Uh, yeah, and so. 
I don't know if anyone, it was just like a sort of maybe a one shot thing that someone did for the college. But I feel like my experience of that makes me say, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, I, I think this this really makes sense, especially maybe in your own city or, mm-hmm. or more familiar cities. You I, know? See, I, I also think I have a, I could talk for hours about this. In one of my five alternate lives, I'm a travel writer anyway. But so my son and I used to travel, just the two of us together a lot. And it's certainly the case that um, and, and one of my gurus for a long time was Dennis Horgan, who was the travel editor of the Hartford Current and is a very well-traveled guy. And he, his rule is if, you, if the guidebook says turn right, turn left, <laughs> it just turn left and see what happens. Um, and, and one of the pieces of advice he gave me once, which I so regret not taking, I was trying to decide on a trip for me and my son Joey. And, uh, and I, was, I asked him, I said, what would you do if you were me? And he, my, my son was like maybe in early high school at this point or end of middle school. And, and he said, you know, Sometimes it's like the thing that you do that nobody else has done. He goes, New Orleans was just opening up after Katrina. The first trickle of tourists were coming back in. He said, do that because mm. he'll come back to school and he'll have amazing stories to tell. And I don't know. We couldn't quite talk ourselves into doing it. But that's something you should do. That's mm-hmm. exactly the kind of thing that you should do. And, and in general, when I think of the stories that he and I have, we have a lot of – 40 percent of our travel stories at least are those moments where we took a wrong term in Vancouver and there were like people sitting on the streets of a church shooting up like right in front of us. Or uh, one time when I insisted that we go to East L.A., partly because he's Latino. And I thought, oh, we're gonna go oh, to you. Gosh, we got to go to East L.A. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're in the middle of East L.A. in the middle of the night in some Veracruzan restaurant where really nobody speaks any English. And, and like there's, you know, the menu is really confusing. But that's like ultimately it is sort of turning left and tur- yeah. instead of turning right. And it's what you wind up mm-hmm. left. And that whole idea of going to a city and having this punch list of stuff you got to get through because you haven't really been to this city if you don't go to these five places. And it's kind of some of the pressure I think that you, you're talking about feeling too. Oh, I better do this, right? You know, I better have this certain kind of time while I'm here in Prague or whatever, right? Anyway, I'll stop ranting. Wow, that's not a rant. I mean, <laughs> um, one of the uh, one of the best times I spent was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of folks who were, you know, that I met up with there who took me around to every practically every abandoned building that uh, um, that was down there. Uh, and we just sat in these spaces and talked about, you know, the possibilities and where those spaces evolved from and what they might evolve into, you know. And I think we're also a special group, right? And when I travel with my sister, my sister is the punch list girl. Mm-hmm. Like every day is – I'm like this is not even vacation because mm-hmm. you have really like scheduled this day within yeah. an inch of its life. Mm-hmm. But that is how she mm-hmm. experiences other places. Like she can't wrap her mind around experiencing places without a place to go. Is that uh, also yes. how she runs her life? Yeah. Wow, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand That's these so things. funny. Yeah, yeah. I have a sister who's like that too and it's so such a pain in the neck to travel. Like we have to get off the bus because we miss this one thing. We <laughs> right. have to go. And oh, I was like, no, God. I just want to go but, hang out. But there's also a middle ground in all that. And the one last thing that I want to say too which is we can we can all get a little bit too jaded about the way the, the kinds of people like your sisters approach stuff like this. <laughs> and one of the things that my significant other has showed me is sometimes we'll bring people to New York City who've never been to New York City and, and my significant other always says, okay, we're 
we're, we're getting on the circle line, you know, so the circle line is the boat that goes around. Yeah. And, and if you're with a New Yorker, they go, what? I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? But it's really – They mean, do it and it's like – it's amazing. It's amazing and you, you can really see New York and kind of understand the configuration of New York. And a lot of times the guy on the mic or the woman on the mic has a really good patter, you know, a kind yeah. of New York-y kind of patter, lots of jokes and stuff like that. And it's a really good experience. And even the people who are living in New York that you do that with mm-hmm. go, oh, wow, I didn't know that stuff. So, you know, we can get a little bit too mm-hmm. alternative sometimes. All right. We have to take a break. We'll come back. All right. Well, speaking of travel, uh, Mexico City is a place that I've never been that I really want to go to. I, I think I want to go to it even more now that we've all watched Roma. Roma is director Alfonso's, uh, Alfonso Cuaron's reminiscence uh, of his childhood uh, in Roma, which is the name of – at that time, I think a bourgeois neighborhood uh, in Mexico City. It's had a couple of changes since then. I think right now it's like one of the places tourists do go. It's very bohemian and full of restaurants and galleries and stuff like that. It's a little bit different then uh, and we're uh, seeing – it, not only through the eyes of um, a family uh, of, of children uh, and a mother uh, living in that neighborhood, but very much through also uh, one of their two live-in servants, uh, a woman named a young woman named Cleo. Uh, so um, with that, so the movie's in Spanish, so it's, it was a little complicated. It's actually in Spanish and a lot of other different languages. Um, and uh, but I, I think we actually do have one little part of this uh, that. That, um, uh, it has some English language in it. So you can at least get a little sense of the sound of the movie. <laughs> So that is a um, eerie uh, scene. It's a New Year's Eve gathering or a New Year's holiday a gathering at some even more upscale uh, people's house. Uh, the upscale people kind of make a point, I think, of speaking English to prove a point about uh, themselves. So you hear that mix of Spanish and English. They're shooting guns by way of uh, entertainment. Uh, that is not always the way that guns are shot uh, in this movie. We should also say that it's uh, black and white and black and white in a very – a uh, beautiful way. Um, so uh, I don't know. Somebody get us started. Irene, kick, kick us off here. Um, how yeah. did give us your reaction overall? All right. I think I was. The, I'm, I might be the only one who had the luxury of seeing it at Cine Studio. Mm. To, uh, you know, on the big screen, the seven, 70 millimeter with the surround sound, and it was just. 
I mean, yeah, I absolutely loved it. You know, I saw Gravity, and I and I felt, which is also a film by the same director, and I, which I found to be excruciating in a way that I just couldn't really <laughs> stand it because it was so slow and everything. And this movie was the opposite of that for me because it was slow, but it was this. Its slowness was so beautiful, and I felt like I I understood like. My son, who's an aspiring film director, um, always tells me that I judge movies too much by just the characters and the plot. And I should just, you know, there's like these cinematic things that happened. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was only after the movie that I realized how much I had been drawn in by those things, like the close-ups, the car, the slowness of that car trying to get into the into the space that was too small for it. You know, the 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 even just that opening image of the water on a f- water on a floor, you know, became a fascinating image for, you know, it seemed like five minutes. You're just looking at a floor with water on it. <laughs> you know, somebody was wa- mopping the floor, but you don't see them. And it's just so beautiful because of whatever was going on in terms of cinematic technique. Yeah. So um, this is one of those movies. Well, this movie um, woke something up in me quite specific and uh, it was uh, my need to uh, increase my language fluency. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching a thing and felt deprived of the nuances that were in there. And uh, this movie, though it's seventy millimeter, and and of course we're all now go- most of us are going to be watching it on our on our small screens now. Uh, that doesn't seem to matter. Um, the seven, the what seventy millimeter allows you to do is pack a kind of density of information into the frame uh, that this director took advantage of. Um, they lit the the entire movie so that it's deep, um, and there's a constancy of motion and activity, and everything, uh, every little bit of process. Uh, is alive and there's nothing superfluous that's going on. So you have to pay attention to the screen. And yet I had to, I couldn't listen to it as much, right? You know, I had to read the subtitles uh, to follow it. Mm -hmm. And and every time I looked down at a word, I know that I was missing something that was happening on the screen. And instead of being frustrating, that built a kind of tension into the movie for me uh, because the substance was rich and the visuals were just, they told their own story even if you shut off the sound. It was fascinating to listen to this recording that we just played here Mm -hmm. because you could see that 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 the audio was layered just exactly the way that that film was layered, you know, and um, it just felt to me like these series of of little haikus that were just packed together uh, with the substance of life that kind of threaded through them and beautiful and poignant and human beings mattered, uh, but um, not so much so than the whole. Right. I, we should say that um, what, even if you spoke Spanish, quite a few of the conversations took place in Mixteca, the two mm-hmm. ser- servants uh, in the house, uh, including the, the person who really is the focus all, all of this Cleo, uh, speak, when they speak to one another, they speak in, in, in mm-hmm. Mixteca, the language of their uh, indigenous people. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I realized that you and I did the Gravity Show on the nose oh. together, <laughs> which I was, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we did that. And yeah. to think about that, um, there is no... Um, understood signature with Alfonso, which I think is something that I really mm-hmm. love, is that there is no Korean style. Like, you're not like, ah, this is his movie. Um, and this one really embodies living pictures because every frame is a fully realized picture. And mm-hmm. and that the sort of long, slow um, uh, tracking shots 
really give you an opportunity to see these things as pictures, which is really um, lovely. And um, it does make you slow down as a viewer um, in a way that I don't think you would um, without this particular sort of pen stroke. Um, and, and, and I really responded to black and white mm-hmm. and I, and I like immediately responded to the black and white in a way that I thought, okay, well, I, will I get tired of this as a thing? Um, but it actually makes you look deeper at the pictures that you're looking at and weird sort of top of the show sort of, I love the fact that. I got to see all of the craftspeople who created this show at the top of um, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, that stuff is is scrolled as quickly as possible at the end of the movie. And I just loved that as you're seeing these, this floor being washed, you're seeing um, these names, these people who made this thing happen. Um, I do want to say, uh, per your uh, comment about his visual style, to whatever extent Quaron has a definable visual, visual style, it's usually arrived at in collaboration with his director of photography, mm-hmm. uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, Be- mm-hmm. who was not available for this. So Quaron became his own cinematographer and got this unbelievably, I think we all agreed, just arresting visual style. This is one of these movies too. I feel the need to say this. I guess I'm lecturing my generation about hip hop. I'll now lecture a whole bunch of other people. People say it to me all the time. I don't like black and white movies or I don't like movies with subtitles or I don't want to see that movie because like nothing happens, right? And, and, so, and so this has all of those. It's black and white. Uh, and it has subtitles and it's not that nothing happens but it doesn't really have exactly a plot really it has more uh, an arc in the lives of these people Uh, and all of those things are reasons to go see it Mm -hmm. and all of those things are I mean even if you've got huge reservations about one or all three of those you just you can't imagine what you're missing if you don't you know take this movie on it yeah. is. It's like a slice of life. It's like taking the tree and slice, slicing mm-hmm. it in half and watching all of the rings happen across the mm-hmm. two hours. It's um, it's important um, because it does make you look at all of the pieces of life, all of the classes, all of uh, the genders <laughs> and the way in which they respond to mm-hmm. uh, society's uh, requests of them. It's it's it's. A necessary C. I'm really, I'm really grateful that you brought up class because I think that that's one of the things that um, that resonated with me a lot in this movie. Um, um, I've been living personally uh, in a space of of um, class separation, right? You know that there's the the good class and then there's that bad class, right? And um, and I took a look at uh, at how these how there was love. Uh, like genuine, genuine love between these uh, these folks, between uh, the the housekeeper and uh, and the the homeowners, right? Um, um, and with all the the tenderness uh, that was there, the class structure was also still there. You know, mm-hmm. there's this expectation that you know the, that in this one scene where. Uh, where they had made a statement that the housekeeper wasn't going to work mm-hmm. when they went on this vacation, you know, and she did more than work. I mean, she <laughs> she had to do heroic work uh, while she's on vacation. That there was this sort of prescribed inevitability uh, to uh, to this class structure um, uh, that even love couldn't break down, and um, it. 
that left me thinking a, a tremendous amount. And I haven't resolved a damn thing about it, but I sure have been sitting with it a lot. A lot going on here. Before we run out of time, Irene, one thing I, I want to just point out and maybe – this is the kind of thing that Cyrus doesn't want you to react to so much, apparently. But um, so the, the the central role of Cleo is played. Uh, first of all, is based on the woman, uh, the household uh, person who brought Quaron up and who is beloved by Quaron. I believe she's known as Lipo, and she was on the set uh, at least a, a little bit and has been very much part he of the story. The movie and he dedicated her, the movie yeah. to her. So, and maybe for all of those reasons, he just decided not to really get anything resembling a conventional actress, uh, Yalitza Aparicio, who's right. now now. Nominated for Best Actress in the Oscars, uh, is from the Oaxaca region where, in fact, mixtec people uh, are found. Uh, she had no acting experience whatsoever. She just pr- completed some courses to become, I think, a public school teacher right around the time they had these open calls and she just wandered. And the, the other servant in the household, who I think is named Adela, uh, is uh, her best friend from high school, also <laughs> not an actor or an actress. And these performances, and particularly Aparicio's performance, I mean, it belongs there in the, oh, yeah. as the part of the class of the field in the Oscars, I think. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Her face, there's so many close-ups on her face. And I was just thinking about the scene when she's with the guy and she kind of laughs at him for one second. Mm-hmm. I just love that moment mm-hmm. so much. You know, when he was doing his, you know, uh, without giving anything away, but she just, you know, she was being very... Um, appreciative and, you know, nodding her head and everything. And then she just kind of has a tiny little laugh that I just thought was great. It just, and, but that's only one of so many, you know, um, moments on her face that, that we just believe. Completely. Well, you do because she is. I mean, I'm. This is a whole nother conversation for the Oscar episode. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's something interesting about. Yes, this is the best performance, but the performance is between real living and craft mm-hmm. um, and probably more on the real living part than the craft. Um, you mean because – what do you mean on the real living part? As in this woman is the character it that is who she, she is, is, yeah. is playing in this movie. Um, and I just think there's an interesting question about awarding a, cra- a crafts award – to that, not to say that the performance isn't yeah. remarkable because the performance is remarkable. Um, but again, but wouldn't she be more? As, but I mean, you have to have a lot of acting skill to be able to do that, even if it, it's you, right? I mean, or if it's similar to your to who you are. I think if it's similar to who you are, it's actually it's not. It's not acting skill. It's something else. Except that you got the camera pointed at you and everything. I I agree that that's an interesting question and maybe a debate we might have another day. Um, (laughs) I think I have to go to a break right now anyway. So we'll come back. We'll make some recommendations. I think we all recommend Roma. We all do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Please go see Roma. Watch it twice. It's not so much what Maroon 5 does to us in the Super Bowl halftime show, it's what shows up in our brain scans 10 years down the road. Today's show was produced by MC McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish wanted Fish to play in the halftime show. Not Fish, Fish, never mind. The part of Bill Curry was played by Bruno Mars. On Monday's show, what really did happen at the Super Bowl? And now, back to Colin. All right, we're back with our fabulous panel. Uh, They're getting ready to make some recommendations. Uh, Rich Holland, we'll start with you. 
Or okay. do, you, do you want me to start with Irene? No, so no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Fully prepare yourself. There, there has been a debate that's been going on about uh, whether one invest, whether uh, we should all be collectively and individually investing in art and culture and stuff that are uh, kind of um, immaterial, as the conversation was going, or whether we should uh, put all the money into uh, feeding and housing the homeless. Um, uh, and this all came about around a window. And so my contribution to this conversation is to say, let's talk about the window. Um, go to visit in Hartford, uh, the Cedar Hill Cemetery. Uh, there are a number of folks buried there, and you could sit with Catherine Hepburn for a while and think back to black and white movies and loveliness and, uh, and know that um, – that there is an intersection where all these things come together, and um, and we can do both. You might want to wait until it gets up to like forty degrees or so. <laughs> I think you could go now. You, go right really, you have the really cemetery, cemetery to yourself, basically, yeah. right now. If you go, if you're all J- bundled up. Yeah, JP J- Morgan is there. I mean, like incredible numbers of people mm-hmm. are, and and yeah. in full flower. The cemetery is also just an incredibly beautiful place. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, that makes me want to go there right away. All right, it's beautiful right now. Yeah. Are you ready to recommend? Yes. Um, I even though my life has been sort of boring lately, so but I want I definitely <laughs> want to um, endorse the seats at, at Cine Studio. They finally ah. got new seats, and oh. their screen is so beautiful. And just go there because it's a wonderful theater and cinema, and it's really different from watching TV at home. Mm. And um, but I also uh, so I've been sort of in a funk lately. And yesterday I had this. Um, this sort of like decision, okay, I have to get through my day. How am I going to get through my day? I am going to, speaking of acting, I'm not an actor at all, but I'm going to act like a person who has it all together, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I went through the day yesterday and I had the best day. So I just want to endorse acting like you have it all together, even if you don't. Fake it until you make it? I guess that's what it is, but I had never, I don't know, it just hit me like a revelation to do it. I know it's a cliche, but that's all I have. Act as if, I'm being told. All right. Yeah. All right. That's great. What have you got? These are profound so far. This is so (laughs) not profound. I feel like mine's not going to be profound either. That's okay. This is a good segue into your lack of. Uh, Because I talk so horrible about her, I'm going to endorse Cardi. There you go. I think you got to go to Cardi's Instagram. Mm -hmm. If you want to know how to speak, Speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. Cardi B's your girl. All right. All right. So oh, I've, you've left me an awful lot of time here, but I, I may be able to fill some, <laughs> some of it anyway. Um, so I want to quickly tell a story from Trinity Cine Studio where, uh, as Irene said, uh, they've got beautiful new seats uh, installed, not uh, omitting quite a bit of stress uh, for our friend James Hanley because that just didn't all come together quite the way it was supposed to. But they're there now and they're very comfortable. Anyway, so people were going to see Roma because uh, it was one of the few ch- – I mean mostly we're watching it on Netflix. It was released – I don't know if we said this. It was released theatrically and to Netflix at the same time. So most of us sitting here also had the experience – and I know uh, Tanisha and you, you and Jonathan at minimum also had the experience of being able to stop Roma and you know maybe start it back up again and stuff like that. So which is stop also like the kind of thing that upsets James Hanley deeply. But yes. a, lo- a lot of people, I don't know if it was crowded on your night. Uh, it was crowded, yeah. surprisingly crowded. Big lines. Yeah. So uh, my friend Maria Johnson was in uh, one of those big lines. And as she came up to the window, uh, and Maria hosts a show on WESU, uh, she uh, came up to the window and the, car- the card machine had broken. Uh, and 
she didn't have any cash with her, and the people either ahead of, immediately ahead of her or behind her said, all right, well, we'll buy your tickets. She was there, I think, with her husband. Uh, we'll buy your tickets. Don't worry about it. The strangers and just said – and they were kind of pooling their cash and I think maybe were planning to like, go out for brunch the next morning to a cash-only place or something. But anyway, they came up with enough <laughs> cash for Maria and Maria wanted me to tell this story to say, first of all, she doesn't know who those people are. Um, she wants to thank them but also to, she wants to assure them. She's convinced they listened to this show just based on how they were talking to one another. I don't know if that's true or not but she, she wanted them to know that she's going to pay it forward. And I think it's a great thing to endorse, too, you know, is that notion of paying it forward. You're in that situation with strangers. If you can do it, you should do it, and they'll probably do it for somebody else, too. People kind of get that pretty quickly. So that's a, a good story from a Trinity Cine Studio. Um, I, I, this is an obvious one. This is Captain Obvious, but um, but I don't know if we're going to get to it as a, as a nose just because I'm going to be out for a while. But um, third season of True Detective with Mahershala Ali, Mahershala Ali, where you're seeing this guy who, you know, a lot of people prior to Moonlight didn't really know who he was. And this is this, is this real tour de force of acting. And it has, a, I think, a connection also to, to memory and Roma in the sense that, you know, Roma begins with the first thing we see, I think, is water being dumped out of a bucket to erase, you know, dirt and dog poop and stuff like that. But I think it's very symbolic of memory and our search for our past and stuff like that. And, of course, in, in True Detective season three, Ali plays three different, you know, generations of a guy who's really starting to struggle struggle organically with his own memories as he also tries to understand this mysterious and painful uh, case from his past. And it's uh, a series that kind of fell into a little bit of disrepute during the Colin Farrell, Vince Vaughn, uh, Rachel McAdams season, and it's going to bounce back. So, uh, I mean, that's like what everybody knows. I just worried we're not going to get to it on the nose, but maybe when I come back we can do that. Um, um, All right, I'll do one more thing. Because I think this is a good on- – I was talking about on-ramps, mm-hmm. you know. So um, Janelle Monet's famous video, Tightrope, uh, is like – if you haven't watched it 150 times the way I have, <laughs> like I don't know why you haven't. But anyway, it's the kind of thing like almost anybody from any generation is absolutely going to be able to get this and get into it. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because Big Boy does have kind of a terrific cameo in the middle of this video. Um, and he's very, very much big boy. So, I mean, just try to get ready for the halftime show somehow. <laughs> try somehow, if you're completely estranged, if you're 62 years old and you just have no connection whatsoever to hip-hop culture and you actually think Maroon, Maroon 5 is maybe sort of good or something, well, fine. But just try to have get ready somehow so it's just not all landing on you. You still won't like Travis Scott, I don't think. But uh, maybe you'll get <laughs> – well, well, they won't. They all won't, right. will they? No. Should they necessarily even? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, who's, who's they? <laughs> they. You know who they are. Them. All right. Well, listen, wonderful panel here today. Thanks to Jonathan McPants. And, of course, thanks to Tanisha Dugan and Irene Papoulas and Rich Holland uh, and all the other people who get together and help us make a nose all the time. And talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury. Waterberry, Oliveberry, Woodberry, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah